Hey, hey, happy Thursday. Uh, I don't know about you, but the fact that it rains or snows or ices every Thursday just gets me that much more excited for spring break. Anybody else? Like, man, get me down to Florida. Uh, man, I am... Uh, I'm super excited to uh, continue our Hot Topic series uh, with our Hot Topic for the night. And uh, it's going to be a little bit different and I'm really excited about it. But I just want to invite uh, the Lord into this process. So if you would, guys, we're just going to go back into some prayer and just invite the Lord into this process. Uh, so Jesus, thanks for being here already. Thank you for the ability to come together and gather um, as believers uh, or just those who are curious and have honest conversations about things that matter and things that affect our daily lives. So um, Lord, thank you that you're already here, and please just uh, remove any distractions and keep our eyes and ears open to what you want to teach us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So tonight, I want to have a conversation about your relationship with your phone. Yes, your screens, your phones, your iPads, all the technology. Now, right when I say that, let me say it right now, let me say it very clearly, this is not a guilt trip. This is not a guilt trip. Um, as soon as I say that, people think, oh, here we go. He's going to tell us that, like, social media is Satan and we need to all burn our phones. No, we're not going there. So let me just squash that really quickly. Um, and you might be tempted to think this is not a topic you preach about or talk about in Christian circles. Uh, we should just be reading Old Testament prophets and the Gospels and reading a story about Jesus. And guess what? We will. But I think that there's something deep inside each and every one of us that knows something isn't quite right about how culture in general interacts with screens and phones and technology and social media. And I actually think the Bible has plenty to say on this topic, even if Steve Jobs hadn't released the iPhone when it was written. Um, so to get things kicked off, I, I want a show called Parks and Recreation. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, it, before, this, before this scene happens, uh, a character, Tom Haverford, gets in a car wreck because he's tweeting while driving, which is just a terrible idea. Um, and part, as part of the uh, judgment, the judge tells them, hey, no screens for a week. And this is what happens. So check this out. I can't use screens for a week. Big deal. I'm adapting. I built a real-life Pinterest board. I really wish you could click those. I'm going crazy, Ron. Life without screens is pointless. I made an iPhone out of paper. It's not the same, though. This is the work of a lunatic. Yeah, I have a new idea. You need to purge all of this garbage from your system. Talk about all the things you do on those screens and let the words just float away into the fresh air. And then we will be done. Okay, worth a shot. Every day, I start by hitting up Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Sometimes, I like to throw in LinkedIn. For the professional shouties. See, that was easy. Then, I like to go on Reddit. Reddit's great because it has all the important links you need. I love Gchat. You can talk to anybody. I hit up Brad.Pitt, wasn't the actor. It's actually a guy named Brad that's a teacher in Pittsburgh. We don't have a lot in common, but we chat quite a bit. Emoji are little cartoons you text instead of words. Instead of saying, what up, boo? You can type, what up, and then a cute little ghost, because that means boo. There's even a little Indian guy, but he has a turban on, which I think is racist. But the Asian guy also has a racist hat on. And it's like, hold up, didn't Japanese people invent this? Podcasts. There are a million of them, and they're all amazing. John Raphael and I have one called Nacho Average Podcast, where we rate different kinds of nachos. Okay, but it seems like that's enough. 
No more talking. But you told me to get it all out of my system. I had no idea how much you had in your system. Uh, all I'm saying is I would definitely listen to a Nacho podcast from John Ralphio and Tom Haverford. Uh, but we can laugh at that clip and we can enjoy at his expense. But I think see a glimpse of ourselves in that. If we're painfully honest, there are bits and pieces of that where we say, ooh, like, yeah, like I open up four different apps when I wake up every single uh, morning. And again, this is not, I'm not here to give a guilt trip. In fact, I'm guilty of a lot of this too, but I am here to give a little bit of information for informed decision making. So let's start with this. Let's look at the advancement of technology over the last uh, 30 years. Now, we've got a few uh, CSF staff and maybe some just older volunteers who were born in the mid to late 90s. Who, who was born in the mid to late 90s? Anybody? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. Uh, so for you guys, when you were born, there were six, 600. Some of you can't imagine that. You visit 600 websites in a day, you know? Like, and now there are billions of websites. Everything is speeding up. And around this same time for you in the mid-90s, uh, laptops became a thing. And people were like, oh, I could take my computer and, like, walk around with it. And it, sure, it weighed, like, 40 pounds. But it was like, this is so cool, right? And you could, like, move around with this, this new technology, okay? Um, right after that was uh, a little invention called email. And I was nine years old. I remember getting a Juno email address and thinking, this is so cool. Dude748 at Juno.com was my very first email. Uh, and everyone was so excited. And, of course, you had to dial up to the Internet. And then your Internet was connected to your home phone line because people really didn't really have cell phones. And then if someone called, it would kick you off the Internet. And then you'd, you couldn't send your email anymore. It would be infuriating, especially if your mom picked up the phone. Your mom started talking. And it was like, come on, mom. Uh, and so it was just this whole thing. But it was super cool because there was no envelopes or stamps and just instant delivery. Now, um, anybody in the room 24 years old right now? Any 24-year-olds? We got a couple. Okay, Bailey and Paige, um, the year you were born, there was something else born called Google. You share a birthday with Google, okay? Now, think about this. Before they were born, nobody ever Googled something. In fact, that phrase would have made you uncomfortable. I mean, like, I don't do that, okay? Like, 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 but after this year, People start being able to Google and search for things. Um, any 23-year-olds uh, in the room? Any 23-year-olds? Raise your hand. Let's see. Let's see. Any 23? All right. So Bailey, Josiah. All right. Bailey and Josiah, uh, when you were born, texting was also born. So thank you for bringing that into our lives. That was really, really sweet. Um, all right. This will this will lead a lot more. Any 20-year-olds? 20-year-olds? Who's 20? Okay. I see you. I see you. I see you. Okay. Um, all right. So Jared, you're 20. So, Jared, when you were born, you brought with you the camera phone. Thank you, Jared. Now, I, I still remember inheriting my dad's even my entire life. Like, I can capture these moments. And at that time, I never would have thought that I need to combine my camera and my phone. Like, those things, I mean, I don't know who thought of that, but that was just amazing, right? Um, all right, 18-year-olds. Where you at, 18-year-olds? All right. You know what you guys brought us, Bryce? You know what you brought us? Facebook. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's right. Um, and the list goes on. I, I'm sure this will get passed. Uh, in 2005, uh, 2005, we got YouTube. 2006, we got Twitter. 2010, Instagram. 2011, Snapchat. The word selfie was invented in 2013. Okay? Uh, the first iPhone. The first iPhone came out. In 2007, 2007. This is wild. So 
think about this. The iPhone, something that many of you have on you right now, is barely a teenager, 15 years old. Before your generation, people didn't walk around with access to info any information in the world in their pocket. Now, we can't imagine life without it, right? Um, in 2004, I was uh, a junior in high school. 44% of teenagers owned a cell phone. I remember having like a gold brick cell phone, and it was super cool because I could play snake on it. And I loved that snake game, okay? Um, but now, 95% of teenagers own a phone. Um, so even within this room, we have some people who could have asked at one point in their life, what is an internet? To nowadays, uh, when 74% of people have reported intense feelings of panic after momentarily losing or forgetting their iPhone. Uh, anybody ever done that? Like you're in the car, you show up to your thing, and you, you do that, you do the, oh no, oh no, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, ah, ah, I don't want my phone, where is it? And you do the mental gymnastics of like, where could my phone be? And like, where are my friends? Where am I going? Ah, ah, I don't know. And then you're just immediately thinking, how do I get my phone back, right? Uh, <laughs> This is crazy, guys. Here's the point. Here's the point. What is normal today wasn't normal 10 years ago. What is normal today wasn't normal just 10 years ago. So you may have had a thought tonight of why would David talk about phones and screens at CSF? Why is this something we're talking about synergy? To which I would, would reply, who is talking about our relationship with our phones and screens like, we're in uncharted territory. This is brand new stuff. There's no rule books or wisdom literature about how to do this really well. It's like we've all been given the keys to our first car, but instead of getting driving lessons, we're all hopping on a new circle and hoping we don't crash. Right? See, my point is, guys, that shouldn't we, as Christians who believe in the gospel, the gospel which is this truth that we're set free by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, this same Jesus who gives us purpose for this life and hope for eternity, this same Jesus who gave us the great commission to go make disciples and the great commandment to love our neighbors, shouldn't we as Christians have an open and honest dialogue about our obsession, or can I say idolatry, over our phones and our online presence? Can't we have an honest dialogue as a group of 18 to 22-year-olds with a few older 20-year-olds in there too? Imagine, for a moment, imagine having no social media to keep up with. I know there are some of you guys who, like, just don't have social media. Go, go ahead and throw your hand up. Well done, guys. I'm just like, I love y'all. Like, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Uh, and it, it, tonight is not just about social media, but we will talk about social media. But for the rest of you, imagine having no social media at all. No social media to keep up with, nothing to check. Um, and imagine what would be different in your life. Um, Imagine all the moments where you didn't have something to just jump to at every given moment. Um, before I was a, a pastor here at CSF, I was a middle school pastor. And I remember sitting with my student leaders, about 15 to 20 of them. Uh, and there was this girl, this eighth grade girl, who was um, frustrated and venting to the group that her mom wouldn't let her have Instagram. And she's like, my mom, she's so, like, outdated. She doesn't understand. Like, I need to have this. I'm so frustrated that I don't do this. And you kind of expect a room of, like, 13, 14-year-olds to pile on and be like, yeah, your mom sucks. She's the worst, you know, like, and just, like, piling on about, like, why wouldn't she let you do this? But it didn't happen at all. In fact, one by one, every other uh, guy and girl in this, in this room said, gosh, that's so great. Like, I wish my mom wouldn't let me have Instagram. It's like, 
wait, what? And like one by one, they all talked about the frustration over the competition and the comparison and, and this whole like just rat race of fi- chasing popularity. And they're like, I wish my parents would just say, you can't have it. So I didn't feel this pressure to keep up with everybody at school and download this thing that I hate, but I feel like I have to in order to like stay in this like culture and everything. And so every single one, there wasn't a single student in this room who defended social media and said, this is great. This makes my life better. And these are 13 and 14-year-olds, right? And again, even if you don't have social media, there's still so many other screens, right? There's texting, YouTube, there's gaming. I know some of you guys, I mean, you, you don't have any social media presence, but the new video game drops and you disappear from Earth for about 72 hours, okay? Like, I know, I know it. I hear it, right? Um, th- so, so, in fact, the average game, they did a research, like, how, what's the average age of someone who does digital gaming? And the average age was 31, 31. That means some of you guys have grandmas and grandpas playing, right? Like, like there's reality. Social psychologists are calling this the large, uncontrolled experiment on the next generation. So, is this the part when I start trashing technology and throwing shame on everyone in the room for having social media? Like, how dare you have a smartphone? You need to throw your phones in the garbage on the way out and move to Montana and grow a beard and churn your own butter and sew your own dresses, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, right? No, that's not what I'm going to say. That's not what I'm going to say because obviously, obviously there are good things about technology and our screens. There's upsides. Like, guys, I don't miss the, uh, the days of driving around with paper maps in my hand and trying to look at this and eat drive. I don't miss that. I don't miss the giant... Uh, Encyclopedia Britannica sets that I had to thumb through to learn about birds or the Constitution or Africa for a school project. I don't miss that, right? Um, the upside is clearly information, right? We, there, we can find out about a need across the world as it's happening and be mobilized to do something about it. The explosion of technology has massive implications for the spread of the gospel around the world. Like we live stream Synergy on a Thursday night. Churches are broadcasting services all over the world and access to the gospel is available for almost everyone. That is an amazing gift of technology. But here's the thing. I don't care if you have access to the internet everywhere. My concern is does it always have access to you? Because the internet can be accessed anywhere. It's invading our lives everywhere, more than I think we realize. Um, A recent study uh, found that 68% of teenagers can't go longer than an hour without checking their phone. Um, and honestly, I'd say that's probably true about most college students, too. And honestly, that number is probably pretty low, too, 68%, right? Um, most people will probably admit that the last thing they do before they go to sleep is check their phone. The first thing that you wake up is check your phone. Um, the ironic part of all of this is that if I asked you, if you scrolled your phone for an hour, and when you get to the end of that hour, do you feel more rested? Do you, do you feel like you have a better connection with the Lord, with other people? Of course, there are moments when I'm scrolling and I find, I see a, a picture of my nieces and nephews and I'm commenting, I'm, you know, interacting with this. Like, that wasn't possible, you know, 15 years ago. Now I can see their lives. And even though they live in Colorado, that is beautiful. That is a gift. But there is a level which it tips, right? There's a level which this is healthy, this is a gift. And now it's turning into a functional God and an idol that we're obsessed with. So again, let me ask you, do you control your screens or do your screens control you? Um, uh, another study I found uh, said that Americans spend about seven and a half hours per day in front of screens. And at first I thought, wait a second, like, that can't be right. 
Like, I get those notifications on Sunday mornings from Apple that tell you how much screen time you have. Does everybody get those on Sundays? Is that like a thing? Okay, great. Um, so I get those two, and uh, in fact, um, th- did anyone else feel like personally victimized by Apple when the pandemic hit and all of our screen time quadrupled and you get those notifications and you're like, leave me alone, I'm lonely, right? Like, I hated those things. It made me feel so guilty. But, uh, but those notices, right, are just like my iPhone time. And then I think about time on my iPad or watching shows on Netflix and Hulu and working on my laptop. And then I'm like, wow, seven and a half hours actually seems almost kind of low. Like, I think some of us in this room spend more time in front of a screen than actually sleeping, right? Um, and when I started to think about all the time that I personally spend on screens, I started to wonder, is this really how I want to be remembered? Will my legacy be my screen time? Like, I'm thinking at my funeral, is anyone going to stand up and be like, man, this guy had a strong Instagram presence? <laughs> like, I really hope not. Like, I don't want that to be shared at my funeral, Right? I, I want to be full of memories that I made with my, my wife and my kids and friends and sharing the gospel, right? Um, uh, more studies I found show our addiction to, to screens is damaging our ability to connect in person with other people. In fact, um, there's a professor of psychology at San Diego University who did extensive research about how this phenomenon is affecting young people and how it's changed over a generation. Um, in fact, since the invention of the iPhone, they actually get together and hang out with a friend in person daily. Um, they, they uh, evaluated 2000 to 2015, and the number of teens who hang out with friends daily dropped 40%, 40% in 15 years. Um, in addition to that, there's been a drop in the number of people going on dates in person. In 2015, about 50% of high school seniors went on an actual date. It was 84% back in 2000. Um, as a side note, I was talking to some, some girls around CSF, and we got about this, got on this whole topic of uh, sliding into DMs and, and kind of throwing a, a, a line out hoping to find a date and it's easier to do behind a screen than like talk in person and these girls were bemoaning the fact that like guys don't know how to like interact in person anymore and like we're not going to get into that but fellas like that's something we need to have a conversation about like there is there is risk there but there is reward as well like sometimes the greatest <laughs> risk is worth the greatest reward okay that's a tangent that's a tangent we don't have time to get into that it's not about shame. It's just something we need to talk about. All right. So, so while we have more access to people and we're seeing more pictures of people, there's less actual connection happening. And the rates of loneliness, anxiety, depression have skyrocketed at the same rate that technology has skyrocketed. It doesn't take a genius to stop and see the correlation here. That there is a coronation with a whole uh, generation losing the ability to connect in person, have a conversation. And we're losing our ability not just to connect with people, but also with ourselves, with the Lord, with our Savior who died for us to have a relationship with us. Like we used to have these sweet moments of silence and solitude that could be filled with reflection and prayer and connection to the Lord. Sitting at a stoplight, walking to class, waiting in line where we could have these little holy moments. But now filled with an extra scroll through the Instagram feed, another TikTok video, another text thread, right? One of my favorite memories from college um, was I, would, I, w- I was always like, like held up in the library every day until midnight. The library closed at midnight and I'd walk back and I, I loved that walk back because it would be, I, I went in, uh, to school in the middle of Indiana so there weren't a lot of like city lights and so I'd just look up and stare at the sky and I'd see, like, it felt like millions of stars and even if it was cold, it was silent, and I could just stare up and feel so small and yet so seen by the Lord. 
Like, how could a God who created all of this also create me? And so I had some of my sweetest, prayerful, worshipful moments in complete silence outside. And I shudder to think how many of those moments I miss daily today because I have a smartphone. And when I'm walking, I tend to reach for something to catch up on email, catch up on something. And I miss these little holy moments that God gives me as a gift uh, because I'm distracted. It's just a distraction, right? Um, so earlier, Haley read some scripture for us before the message. And I want to give a little context to that scripture because it has a lot of um, implications for this, this topic tonight. But Jesus, in Mark 4, he's just hit the scene, right? And, and he's just starting to preach and he's, he's just starting to talk about the kingdom of God and the gospel. And this is one of his earliest sermons that people have heard from Jesus. So he gets up in front of this crowd and he starts talking about some seeds and some soil. And he says, some seed gets on a rocky path, gets trampled. Some seed hits hard soil, sprouts up for a moment, and dies. Some seed gets stuck in some thorns and gets choked out. Some seeds get planted well and grow really big. Let he who has ears hear this message, grace and peace, see you next week. And he walked away, right? At least I think he said that. Um, and I just imagine being in this audience, listening to him talk about seeds and soil, and I'm hearing about this Jesus and just kind of nodding my head like waiting for the boom, and then he walks away. And, then, and so later on, these disciples uh, of Jesus, like they pursue Jesus, and they come to him, and they, and they, they, they say, hey, Jesus, um, hey, man, like great message today, like super solid, love the four points, Jesus, that was awesome, but um, what, right? What, what's, they just didn't get it. And so Jesus says, okay, you've pursued me. You see me? So he starts to, uh, uh, to share the secrets of the kingdom. And that's where we, in uh, verse 14, and Jesus says, the farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. And the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots... They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So right away we have two kinds of seed that don't bear fruit. But here's where it gets really interesting and honestly a little scary. Um, it has everything to do with our topic tonight in verse 18. He said, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. So the third kind of seed that's planted but bears no fruit, it doesn't do anything, is the seed caught in the thorns. And what are the thorns? Well, verse 19 says the thorns are the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. I wonder what the desire for other things could mean in 2022. This is one of the most subtle but important lessons that we learn from Jesus. You ask, what's going to keep you from being fruitful in your relationship with the Lord, from being everything God intended you to be? Jesus says it might not be an attack from the devil or some horrible persecution. The way the enemy is going to steal the joy from you, simply distraction. Desire for other things. For many of us, the most dangerous weapon that the enemy has against us is not some horrible, dramatic sin, but a subtle squeeze of momentary desire for other things. 
In his uh, famous book, Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes from the perspective of an older demon meant a man away from the Lord. And he writes this. You can follow along. He says, you will say that these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. The line that hit me when I was writing this, murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Oof. How about murder is no better than addiction to screens if addiction to screens can do the trick? Or addiction to validation on Instagram, or addiction to gaming, or addiction to attention from the other sex. As Jesus said, the thorns, the desire for other things are choking us out slowly from bearing fruit. Perhaps it would be wise for us not to assume we are the fourth healthy soil and truly examine our lives for these thorns. So we need to ask two practical questions. Why do we do this and what do we do about it? Why do we do this? What do we do about it? Many of us here are addicted to our phones. So let's talk about addiction real quick. Where does addiction stem from? Why do people get addicted to any substance, right? It usually doesn't happen because someone thinks, wow, beer tastes great. I just can't stop drinking it because of the taste. Like sometimes that happens, but usually not. Usually someone continues to drink and get addicted because, or engage any substance to avoid a discomfort or numb a pain or hide an insecurity. It's an escape method. For many of us, we're addicted to our phones, and so we go to our phones for validation and distraction, not for infrafert. We're going for escape. We're going for a fantasy world that isn't ours because we don't know how to deal with the actual real lives that we're living uh, there's an interview out there with uh, Judd Apatow. He's a comedian, producer, director for a lot of films um, like Anchorman, Talladega Nights, 40-Year-Old Virgin, a bunch of others. And in this interview, he explained that he has to be on his phone or a screen at all time, um, working all the time, never without a screen. And when they asked him, why do you have to do this? Why can't you relax, be with your kids or whatever? And he said um, that without a screen... He'd be alone with his thoughts, and he's afraid of what his thoughts might reveal about himself. He's scared to be alone with his own thoughts. Let that sink in. Here's a, here's a successful uh, producer and comedian. He's done a lot of great things, but he's afraid to be by himself without a screen. If we're honest, I wonder how many of us would say the same things. Think about it this way. Whenever you're in a room with people you don't know, and, you know, waiting at the DMV or just sitting, waiting on something, waiting for your drink at Starbucks. What does everybody do? You pull out your screen and you stare at it and you do something, right? It's, it's almost to the point now in culture where if you don't do that, like, you're super weird, right? Like, imagine, like, being in a, a room and everyone's on their phone waiting, waiting for the doctor and you're just sitting there like. <laughs> like, someone would be like, dude, you're creepy, man. Get out of here, right? Look at your phone. So you get your phone out out of social pressure, and you're like, I'm important. I, I have friends, and people need me too, right? And you just, look, like, what do you even look at, right? You just, we fill all these moments. Um, 
because we just live for distraction and validation, all these weird social pressures that nobody's talking about. Here's the reality. Our constant pursuit of distraction and validation leads to isolation. Isolation from Jesus. Isolation from others. So what do we do? How do we get out of this cycle that's so ingrained in us we're not even talking about it? Um, I just have a couple ideas to throw out there. We can't get into everything because we don't have enough time. But number one, embrace salvation Salvation over validation. Jesus says in John 10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and life everlasting. Some translations say life to the fullest. How did Jesus do this? How did Jesus give us life? He carried the cross to Calvary. He was nailed to this piece of wood and bled out for you and me with a crown of thorn, thorns on his head. He died for the sins of the world. And three days later, he rose from the grave And he conquered death and he conquered sin to give us salvation. Not just for eternity when we die, but to give us purpose for this life. Jesus paid our ransom that was demanded by sin, and yet we still internally establish our value and worth based on the number of likes we have on that post. Or the text we do or don't receive. And some of us crave that validation and attention so badly that we, we start making compromises we never thought we'd make. A little less clothes in this picture, a photo sent to a guy or a girl, all looking for some kind of validation from the world. Some of us in this room are so confused sexually, and we should be taking it to the Lord, but instead we're taking it to the Internet for validation. Guys, your, your likes... Don't make you more likable in the eyes of the Lord. He already likes you and he loves you. Your number of followers doesn't determine your worth. And I I just, I have to stop here for a minute. I have to make a quick comment on this. I am not your judge and jury. That's not my role. And I I want you to, to hear this from my heart as a father and a pastor. I even asked some other staff, I'm like, I want to, I want to say something but I don't want it to come off as judgmental or shaming or anything like that. I just want to to show you that I love you, and so I'm going to be honest with you. Why do you feel the need to post your body on the Internet for strangers to stare at and screenshot and leer at? Just why why do you feel the need to do that? This is for guys and girls, by the way, both sides. This isn't out of and care. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll be on Instagram and I'll come across some kind of picture with lots of skin. And it just, it makes me sad, but it also makes me more sad um, when I see a guy who loves Jesus that I think is a godly man. And, and even some married men, friends of mine, that have liked that picture. Let me ask you, what is your intent? What is your purpose with that? Please, please, please hear my heart. I'm not shaming anybody in here. I'm not asking you to go back through your feed and delete. I'm, that's not my point. That's not my purpose, guys. But friends, you are more than the sum of your body parts. You are more than that. Your worth and your value don't come from your body. Jesus says you are worthy. He died on the cross for you, rose from the grave. He says you are valuable to me. I am your father. You are my son. You're my daughter. That's where you get your validation. That's where your identity comes from not the likes on a picture. So friends, when we encourage each other to post more pictures of our bodies online and by liking these photos, is that truly Christian love or is it selfish lust? 
I think we need to have more open dialogue about this very sensitive topic as followers of Jesus. Where are we seeking validation? Where does our worth come from? I hope you continue this conversation in core groups and shift groups and friend groups and continue having this conversation because there's so much to, to come from. But I hope you hear my heart. Jesus loves you, and he calls us into these secret places of silence and solitude for true communion with the Lord so that we can see that our worth comes in our identity in Jesus, not our Instagram feed. Our worth and value comes from the fact that the God of the universe who put the stars in the sky, put the breath in your lungs, and he calls you son, he calls you daughter, and he loves you. There were so many times um, when Jesus was here on earth that people demanded more of Jesus, more of his time, his energy. Maybe you feel those demands on your phone and the, uh, this online presence to keep up with emails and texts or whatever. And, and what did Jesus do when everybody demanded his attention? And he went off on his own into silence and solitude. And he, he went away from the crowds at the height of his popularity because he knew that his connection with the Father would be the only thing that could sustain him here on this earth. So maybe it's time for us to follow Jesus and withdraw to this quiet place of solitude and silence, put the screen away, and just connect with the Father because He loves you. Which leads me to my second application point. So we embrace salvation over validation, and then we pursue your restoration instead of distraction. Restoration over distraction. Life is going to be crazy. Okay, there will be days when you can't control your screen time because you've got papers due and job applications. You've got to apply for this scholarship and this thing and that thing. But when you feel depleted, don't escape, don't run, don't medicate your exhaustion with thorns, your desire for other things. Let Jesus restore you, bring you rest. This is why we host three o'clock uh, prayer in our basement every day, Monday through Friday. Just we just want to create a space where you can withdraw into silence and solitude, worship, pray, talk to the Lord. So you can come do that here. Getting real practical, um, I was listening to a podcast, uh, the Kerry Newoff Leadership Podcast. He was interviewing um, a guy named John Mark Comer. Uh, he's a pastor who's a great author and speaker, a lot of, a lot of great books that we read around here. Um, and I just love everything John Mark Comer says, but um, he was specifically talking about technology in this interview. And, and John Mark Comer says um, he's created this discipline in his life that when he wakes up, he won't even touch his phone until he spent an hour reading reading scripture, reading good books, uh, something to challenge him intellectually, spiritually, an hour. He won't even touch his phone. He won't look at it. I'm like, dang, that's so cool. And then he said, he said this one line, and it, was, it just hit me. He said, technology is good for staying on top of things, but I'm trying to get to the bottom of things. And guys, that's saying like a melody to my heart as a pastor. I was like, man, I feel that, and I want that to be true in my life. We have serious FOMO. We think we need to be a part of everything and know what's happening at all times. But we don't actually need that, right? And counselor gave me this, this question. It's so good. When you're feeling anxious, ask yourself, what do I think I need that I don't really need? Because the answer to that question could change your life. So pursue restoration over distraction and think about your legacy. One final word. One final word. Instead of getting legalistic about this and saying, this is how much screen time you should have and all of this, I just want us to continue the conversation in terms of God, gross, or gift. Sometimes we want everything to be like, here's right, here's wrong. But there's a lot of things as Christians that are just wise or unwise. So I think it's helpful to have this, this, this framework for talking about screens and, and everything. And there's other categories that could fit into this too. But God, gross, or gift. I want us to land in a place where we can recognize our phones and screens as a gift. Not gross, 
not God. In other words, I'm not asking you to throw your iPhone away. It's not gross inherently. It can be used in gross ways. We've touched on all of that. But our phones and screens can't be God either. You know, sometimes we treat that little rectangle like a functional idol, and it's dangerous. We read our Bibles in the Old Testament, and we, we judge the Israelites for worshiping a golden calf. But I wonder how many of those same Israelites would look at us today and the sheer number of hours we spend staring at these rectangles and think the same thing. If you can't imagine a few hours without your phone, it may be time for some reflection. So phones, screens, games, all those things, they're not God. They're not gross. They're a gift. So the question is, how will you steward this gift? How will you steward your time? What are you going to be known for? Um, For some, uh, you know, some practical steps. Maybe you need to do, do a social media fast until spring break. Spend the next two weeks just off of social media. And, and every time you, you would reach for your social media, instead spend that time in prayer for other people going on spring break trips and praying that they would encounter the Lord on, on a spring break trip. You know, so, so maybe it's just the next two weeks of social media fasting. Uh, for some of you guys, you just need to go and buy a basic clock that sits by your bed instead of your phone being your alarm clock, just so you're less tempted to spend more time on the screen, more tempted to go. Um, for some of you, it's turning off notifications. Um, there's a lot of research that shows um, that when you get that buzz, that notification, it's like a drop of dopamine goes in your blood. The same chemical that is inspiring like real romantic feelings is, is being hit when you get these notifications coming through. So maybe it's time to like, hey, let's remove that element and turn off notifications. It's little small steps. But again, just maybe, perhaps we should consider that we're not that fourth soil. We're not the healthy soil that we might be being choked out by thorns, and that Satan's greatest weapon in your life may be sitting in your pocket right now. But the good news is that Jesus died for you, he loves you, he has a plan for your life, and he's waiting for you in the silence and the solitude. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for the, the, the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your patience. Lord, I just, uh, I want us to be a community of people who's willing to ask the hard questions and examine where we might be even decimals off from your plan for us, Lord. So I pray that if we've made an idol out of our phones, out of our screens, out of our games, whatever, Lord, that we would just lay that at the foot of the cross and just say, okay, Lord, what do I need to do to draw a little bit closer to, to the heart of Christ? that we'd be a little bit more dedicated to making disciples, a little bit more dedicated to loving our neighbors. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get legalistic about it, but just look at the heart of Jesus and say, what can I do? And Lord, I pray for anybody who um, maybe feels shame tonight from anything. I said, Lord, I pray that you'd remind them. Shame is not a tactic that Jesus uses. Jesus never shames. The Lord never shames and guilts, right? The Lord convicts our hearts, but it's out of a warm invitation to embrace salvation over validation, to embrace restoration over distraction. So God, thank you. Lord, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer team is always available to pray with you in the library, just outside these doors. If you walk in the library, they're always there to pray with you. No matter what's going on, anything you want to talk about, they would love to pray with you. But I'd love to invite you to stand and let's continue to worship tonight. Christ is my firm foundation
Cause I 